Hi, and welcome back to the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson, and this is the third in a series of episodes on the housing affordability crisis. In my last episode, Craig Rutan from the Toronto Region Board of Trade talked about the need to remove exclusionary zoning to allow for missing middle housing as one key solution to address the housing affordability crisis. He also expressed his support for the newly released Provincial Task Force report on housing affordability. Many of the recommendations from the task force report are about thinning down the approvals process, imposing provincial-wide design standards, while reducing residents' ability to voice their concerns, all in an effort to rapidly increase the supply of new housing in existing neighbourhoods. But what's the response from local residents to these fairly bold recommendations? That's the focus for this podcast, and my guest was Kathy McDonald co-chair of the Federation of North Toronto Residents Associations, better known as FONTRA, a prominent and well-organized group that represents 35 ratepayer associations from across Midtown Toronto. Kathy is an architect and urban planner and held various senior roles at the City of Toronto. She's currently president of the Deer Park Residents Group and chair of their development committee. Here's our conversation recorded on February 23rd. So, Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. I'm really pleased to uh, contribute to the discussion. Yeah, and it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and now, so before we get into talking about uh, missing middle and the housing affordability crisis, why don't we just start off by having you describe what the Federation of North Toronto Residents Associations, better known as FONTRA, is all about. Why, why don't you give us a brief overview? Okay, so first of all, uh, uh, FONTRA has a membership of over 30 residents associations in the area bounded by Bloor, Shepherd, Don Valley Parkway, and Bathurst. Um, so we uh, meet regularly to discuss current uh, planning issues in the city, to help give a voice to the residents, um, and we make submissions to city commit- committees on various issues as we see fit. Um, we also uh, meet regularly with um, Greg Lintern, chief planner, to discuss uh, current planning issues and uh, give our advice and uh, get information from him on the uh, his priorities. Um, so I'm not speaking today for Fontra, um, as we're currently in the middle of discussions on this topic, which, um, as you can imagine, is quite a a, a complex. But I'm hitting the main points that um, uh, we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, And so just a little bit, I want to get a little bit deeper into FONTRA, just so I better understand. This is my first time meeting someone from a a ratepayer association, and I'm really curious. So you represent 30 um, separate ratepayer associations. So how many... How many? About 35. Oh, 35. Yeah, it sort of comes and goes. 
So how are you? How are you funded? Or is it? How does it work? Like, how, does anybody get paid? I mean, how do how how nobody, do you? Nobody gets paid. Um, the, organ, the fee is to join for a residents association, and only residents associations can join. Is fifty dollars a year. So far, that's worked. We've just set up a new website that you might be interested in having a look at. Um, to that sort of highlights what we're what we're doing. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at it right now. It's actually a very well, clean and informative website well, for sure. That's new. We had to do a, a, a special donation uh, request to our members to help fund getting that going. If you're you're representing thirty different thirty five different associations, yeah. do those associations represent? all residents in the neighborhood uh, how how are well, you they, capturing well, the voice have, of residents residents associations have members that join mm-hmm. and um for example i'm also uh, currently the president of the deer park residents group so we've got uh probably like 350 members i see in our uh in the for deer park and we have um uh, because we're such a mixed area, we have uh, uh, homeowners, we have um, tenants, we have condo owners, and we've just done a big drive to get more tenants and condo owners to join. How long has Fontra been around? Well, that's a good question. Um, uh, there was a, a predecessor to Fontra called CORA, which you may have heard of, the Confederation of Residents and Ratepayers Associations. Now, back in the uh, early 70s, it was a very powerful organization that provided the residents' input into the development of the central area plan when David Crombie became the mayor. Hmm. And I first joined the city as a planner then, so I'm sort of involved in that. So Cora was um, extremely well uh, respected and had um, uh, uh, sort of very respectable and responsible uh, members um, uh, from across. This is the old city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. In the 80s, I guess, uh, 80s, early 90s, the proposal for uh, a huge development at Young and Eglinton came up, and the residents of the area who were members of Cora set up Fontra, which began its history as um, to, to uh, object to uh, this development, which became, uh, no, what's it called? Is that the Minto? Is that the Minto Tower? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's how Fontra began. And I began attending the meetings. um, I don't know when after it started. I don't know all the details, but I went I went to it soon after meetings of Fontra representing Deer Park soon after it started. So but that probably was in in the 2000s after I left the city. Yeah. So. That's how it started. So it became, uh, you know, uh, a, a midtown organization, and Fontra has sort of since a kind of um, fallen into by the wayside. It still exists, but doesn't do as much as Fontra. 
So can you highlight uh, one or two past successes from Fontra's perspective? I know I think it's a sort of an ongoing thing. We sort of follow what's happening and and put in give our input. So mm-hmm. um, just in terms of outcomes, if you've you've provided you you know you're obviously regularly meeting yeah. with with yeah. uh, Greg Lintern, um, yeah. and so yeah. we uh, provide our input on a whole bunch of different things and push for we you know in the planning and housing committee we're often providing deputations on the on on the issues there. And uh, you know, of course, as current um, uh, uh, city EHON program, the enhanced housing, uh, enhanced opportunities for housing. Uh, for, uh, this is the middle, middle, missing middle initiative of the city. Uh, so we're heavily involved in that. You know, providing our our input, and I guess one of our uh, successes is really strengthening the tree protection policies that relate to um, uh, the uh, garden suites. That's that's very recent, right? Okay. That's very recent, yeah. 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 Okay, well, why don't we... Um, well, that That's actually really good. That gives me a better flavor of, of uh, Fontra and, and, and the involvement you have with the city in representing the residents. I want to get into now talking about missing middle housing as a solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the housing affordability crisis. And this is the type of housing that, you know what, you can label it as gentle density. So it's gentle density increase. So it's duplexes, triplexes, uh, fourplexes. But, you know, the current zoning, uh, and this is where they get into the term exclusionary zoning, doesn't really allow for those types of, um, of housing types. And so I wanted to, and the missing middle is just seen as one form of housing to increase supply in, in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'm really curious to get your thoughts just in terms of that as a housing type and as a solution mm-hmm. to addressing the crisis. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, well, I certainly agree that there's a housing crisis and um, uh, we need to be providing more housing, affordable housing for families and uh, immigrants. And uh, uh, yeah, we sort of read about it in the papers. Um, well, because like I live in Deer Park, which is in the old city of Toronto, and we've had all these um, uses permitted forever. And um, I mean, pre-zoning bylaws, which was not in the 1950s, um, a lot of those kinds of building forms were built. I mean, I have a, a double triplex diagonally behind me and down the street is uh, another one. We have uh, small apartment buildings scattered around uh, many houses converted to uh, apartment apartment units it's like along Oriole Parkway yeah so I mean I live with it and of course in amalgamation we added all the suburban communities that you know some of them had allowed some of the forms of it and some of them didn't and you know with the restrictive zoning I think in in the old city of Toronto it's like Forest Hill and um, parts of Rosedale were the only areas that were more restricted in uses, as I recall. You know, personally, this is the kind of city I live in. And um, um, 
the, I mean, the question is, how do you extend it to the rest of the city? So uh, we, um, you know, as Fontra, we certainly support the ELAN program. Um, and it's being done with um, a major public consultation component. We have a, a working group that's assigned to uh, work on it that I'm part of. And just so, just so I'm clear, so Eon is this expanding housing options and neighborhoods yeah. division yeah. or department that was created by no, the city no, of Toronto. It's a program. Oh, it's a, it's program. a program. Okay. Yeah. So there was laneway suites, and now there's. Um, we just did garden suites. The next is going to be multiplexes. The consultation is finished. I think there'll be a report in March on on that. So you generally, it sounds like you're generally in support of that housing type. You're engaging with the city on, yeah, on that. Yeah. And yeah. And some, some people are more critical of what's happening and than I am. I think the, the city's response is generally pretty responsible. Okay. Well, let's get into, um, how it, how it unfolds. Yeah. Well, that's where we are right now. We're, we're kind of at the cusp of a uh, big change ahead quite possibly. And I would, you know, I was thinking the timing of this interview were February 23rd. Um, it's really, it's really quite timely because we're only two weeks, uh, after the province, um, released their, their task force report on housing affordability. Um, and that follows the board of trade, the Toronto board of trades report that came out in December, really urging the province to consider missing middle. And that has been captured in, in the task force report as, 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 um, a key plank in their recommendations. Um, one of the goals for uh, the key goal for the task force report is to achieve 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years. Now that's across the province, but I think a lot of that would be in the GTA. And there are, there are a lot of recommendations in the report and some of them are quite bold. I, I don't want to get into all of them, but I do want to focus on ones where I think you may have some, um, uh, some stronger points of view And the, fir the first one. Uh, and maybe you've already answered this already, but this the notion of making missing middle housing as of right, so really to get away from this the exclusionary zoning and just to to allow for people to, to for for builders to go to the city and say, I want to build a, a duplex or a well, triplex and a fourplex. I mean, we've done it with the garden suites. Uh huh. I mean, it's as of garden suites can be built on a lot as of right, but provided that. Uh, performance standards are met. So what would those performance standard, standards be well, for know, missing middle? I mean, the normal setbacks for housing, uh, so, well, no, no, normal kinds of requirements for housing, like, you know, setbacks, the amount of open space, um, and within um, the garden suite, we added tree protection um, and um, height and... Um, so it's like your privacy regulations, basically. You know, how how do you get housing built that doesn't upset uh, or interfere with the neighbor's enjoyment of their property? Like, yeah, that's... Uh, so I think the light view and privacy objectives are uh, important. I did the regulations for the St. Lawrence neighborhood, light view privacy. I guess there's questions of... of parking and what, what what's required or what isn't and how uh, so i think that will be a discussion uh going forward 
Yeah, I mean, I think as uh, and and you know, what are the performance measures? And that's where the criteria that are developed by you know in consultation with the communities are really important. So the um, I mean, the task force recommendations uh, say make it as of right. Uh, you can have as of right with appropriate regulations, not um, and regulations that uh, communities agree with. Uh, so, but the task force cuts out any public consultation, um, which um, I totally disagree with, of course, um, because we can make it better, make it work. Um, I mean, what works where? You don't make it as of right everywhere. You know, for example, development on sort of major streets with transit uh, can have higher uh, densities than um, on um, uh, cul-de-sacs, for example. I don't know how all of this is going to work. This is the discussion that will have to happen um, with the introduction of the different housing forms. There are, um, of course, with like townhouses and semis, which aren't permitted in some areas, um, there's already regulations for those. The um, you know introduction of small apartment buildings, I think, is is uh, uh, you know the regulations for that will be interesting. Because uh, and I just want I wanted to add one other thing um, here is that even making it as of right does not guarantee anything happening. Uh, you know the old city of Toronto has all these uses permitted and. All we get built are bigger houses, tearing down existing houses, bigger housing, bigger houses, semis and townhouses. We don't get um, small apartment buildings. We don't get um, uh, the, the double triplexes and these, like the multiplexes at all. And why do you think that is? Well, it's interesting because the, I guess the, I mean, it, Who's the developers and who are the you know investors? And that this is not a is not a good must be not a financially um, uh, successful outcome for them to try and do anything like that. And, and it's very surprising. And so this idea of allowing all of these things uh, as of right. No, no. What's going to happen? Yeah, there's no guarantee that that's going to, no you know, you're going to just see a huge yeah. um, number of yeah. investors I mean, or developers going out and, yeah. and building this and, stuff. And the attractive areas for building. I mean, the old city of Toronto. There's lots of development happening here because we've got um, uh, what we have talked about, like as complete communities. We have. Um, uh, you know, we walking distance to stores, and there's schools, and there's um, community facilities, etc. And in the pro uh, the suburbs, you have to drive to everything. So how do you, you know, in building up these, um, uh, you know, getting this housing built? You know, what else do you need? You, I mean, you need good transit. You need um, uh, the community facilities as well. And um, I mean, the task force doesn't deal with any of that. Okay, so that it's 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 uh, it's good to hear that you have 
in, in general, generality that you support the as of right so long as they meet yep. the standards. But the standards that are being proposed um, is a little bit more of a top down, you know, province wide sort of standards, at least mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a from an urban design and heritage. In fact, they're yep. they're yep. suggesting that yep. they reduce. Um, a lot of those standards, um, setting uniform provincial standards on, on building yeah. shadows, you know, sh- shadow um, policies and setbacks, and trying to do away with the that neighborhood character that's so yeah. enshrined in the current official plan, at least for Toronto. Yeah. Um, prioritizing uh, building more housing over that, even limiting the rules around heritage preservation, even eliminating municipal approval and items like building color, texture, materials, window. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on I'm, that? I'm, the, this I'm not pro- sure how much there is in, in that, but um, maybe in more in bigger buildings, but in uh, uh, bigger projects. Um, but I mean, absolutely, it can't be a one-size-fits-all um, kind of, of thing. And this top-down um, direction, I think, is, is uh, from the province's uh, point of view, quite irresponsible. I mean, we've got different municipalities all across the province with um, uh, you know very different conditions and opportunities I mean a better obviously a better approach from my perspective is the province provides the the guidelines and the are the targets and uh, the municipalities come up with how to do it in their municipality they know how to do it you know arbitrarily cutting um, uh, cutting out uh, sort of regulations that municipalities have established um, is um, not the way to go. But I, I mean, certainly a review of them is um, quite relevant. Uh, so there's certain things that, um, I mean, I've noticed getting are getting in the way of get more better use of existing buildings, for example, because the development charges apply. Um, and, uh, you know, someone's converting a house into a number of apartments, their development charges apply, as I understand it. I mean, that seems crazy to me. Well, I mean, a lot of this top-down is kind of driven by the province's desire to, quote-unquote, eliminate red tape and to streamline approvals and to to streamline as much as they can and and to force municipalities to to um, follow these kind of streamline approach. But I guess what you're saying is that one size doesn't fit all. No, no, and and municipalities can figure it out uh, what works. And and I guess what's red tape? Um, and it's like a simplistic term. And in the eyes of the and bo- the beholder, uh, in municipalities, some regulations are absolutely not red tape. There's, you know, getting buildings built in a, a in a already built up city is complicated. You've got to deal with um, all the services. You've got to deal with a whole, you know, a whole range of, of things. You can't just say anybody can build build whatever they want. There have to, there has to be rules, uh, and so the question: What are the rules that uh, uh, that that work? And uh, I mean, certainly it's not the same rules for everywhere in the in Ontario. Let me ask uh, then, you know, beyond the the, the process of, of going through uh, an application and, and getting approval once council approves, there is obviously the appeals process that every developer factors into their 
Performa and their development timeline. And again, I think the province is trying to limit um, the opportunity for uh, for appeals, and so they are. Um, they quote unquote prevent the abuse of the of the appeal system, and they want to raise the cost of the appeal application from four hundred dollars to ten thousand dollars, which is a way to you know, right to kind of so because four hundred dollars seems somewhat palatable for a single homeowner who may not uh, appreciate what's being proposed next to them, but ten thousand dollars is quite a lot, and also re remove the right to appeal on a project with greater than thirty percent affordable housing, and even have the appellant pay for the the winning party their legal fees. So all of this is is again is a way to kind of so I'm curious just from Fontra's perspective, what what is your response? I mean, we're, well, I guess we're sort of basically appalled with that idea. Um, yeah, I mean, that there's, uh, uh, there's, you know, residents have a democratic right to um, have their say. And, um, you know, I think the, the fees for appealing have to be, be reasonable um, to cover costs. You know, I'm talking to my sort of fellow Fontra members, not many uh, uh, residents appeal. I mean, we've now got our Toronto um, T-Lab for appeals for Committee of Adjustment applications. You know, we, do, we don't go around appealing applications. I mean, what we try and work out solutions. I mean, in Deer Park, we certainly have. We, we're doing that. We've only got, we have one, um, a, one, we appealed one where the developer wouldn't even talk to us. And, and it's so far out of what the um, existing planning framework is. But, I mean, we could work out a solution, but instead they just um, appealed it. So that's the only one out of, um, you know, I've got, um, you know, 10 or 12 big development applications. So who's appealing is what my, I, you know, uh, and, and, and why. So are you, I mean, with all of these recommendations, again, which seems top down and trying to limit, um, you know, really kind of curtail your interests, uh, which you would want to raise, are you, how are you going to respond to this? Has, has Fontra kind of formulated a, a response? strategy would be. Um, and I mean, we want to we will want to work with other municipalities, um, of residents groups in other municipalities, and with our councillors, um, and sort of raising uh, issues. So we're working on our our lists. You know, this really raises a bigger question. You know, because it's really about public involvement. Um, and yeah. the province, this task force report is is pushing the pendulum in one direction, and and and. Uh, and then I guess at the other end of the, the spectrum, uh, quite a lot of public involvement, maybe slowing down the process. Do you think this is going to force um, a productive discussion um, that will maybe yield a, a better product in the end? Um, I guess I'm, I'm hesitating because I don't know, because I, I don't know that the, the product is broken, um, that uh, public consultation actually in the total picture of times and development applications um, is minuscule. The voices of residents can help make the applications better. Many of the uh, 
missing middle housing is proposed to be as, as of right. So there's no, you know, what do you appeal? Uh, I mean, we work out regulations that make sense and um, I mean, be like the committee of adjustment, how many, uh, you know, that sort of requests for, for changes by applicants, but um, you know, how there won't, there won't be appeals, but thinking about the missing middle, if the regulations are established in a, um, a reasonable way, and um, there was some discussion with the garden suites, um, uh, uh, official plan amendment and bylaw, whether any appeals were allowed anyway. Um, so that eliminates the appeal cost issue. When, once the regulations are in place uh, with a missing middle housing uh, would seem to me that any adjustments would sort of go through a committee of adjustment process and um, to work out the fine details you're saying to work out the fine details it's not like dealing with big development projects so we need to get the um basics right and then we don't have to appeal but uh, i mean still it's the idea of you know uh, making appeals so costly that nobody can afford it is just um, so anti-democratic on principle, you know. And um, I think, you know, as I said before, in in general, we don't residents groups don't appeal things much. Uh, very, I mean, very few, extremely few projects are appealed by residents groups uh, because we we are sort of agreeing with. Uh, the results. So the, the objective should be to get to agreement with the results, not stopping people from appealing. I want to um, I want to kind of switch gears, maybe if you can call it that, or maybe a more general gear. Um, mm -hmm. The report points to um, nimbyism, the not in my backyard uh, sentiment, as being one of the reasons why there hasn't been much change in low rise. Neighborhoods, um, mm -hmm. and that you know, and that NIMBYism has a strong influence on how councillors mm -hmm. vote on, on certain proposals. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's you know, NIMBYism is in all in all honesty, mm -hmm. it's framed in in kind of a negative light, um, yeah. contributing mm -hmm. to uh, the term exclusionary zoning. I mean, what what's your response to the, this this connotation of what NIMBYism? I mean, they're kind of like nimbyism and yimbyism, that sort of artificial terms that really create conflicts. Mm -hmm. um, so yimbyism um, being yes in my backyard, just for those who well, write no, I mean, I mean, are, I mean, they're not black and white things. Um, uh, I mean, the best thing is to get together and figure out how to, how to uh, solve the problem. NIMBYs are, are, are know their neighborhoods and, and what works, and YIMBYs um, don't seem to care about this. I don't know. Um, um, but there's where, uh, you know, it's, if, if the regulations are what everybody agrees with, then you don't have that problem. So the uh, objective to me, it seems, is to get uh, general agreement um, it's not always going to be perfect um, as to what should what should happen. Um, but we have um, representatives from this sort of new group um, 
of for millennials, it seems, for um, uh, uh, you know housing housing now or, or something. Uh, or, but they, I mean, they don't. They just say yes. There should be more. They don't say what or how. Um, they just sort of object to um, uh, uh, saying there shouldn't be. Well, nobody is saying there shouldn't be more. It's it's what should it be? You know, how should it be redeveloped? What should happen? Um, oh, there was that interesting example was on Hummer, Hummer Avenue about the houses, the city's modular housing, social housing sure. project. Sure. Where actually the community agreed and the person who objected was the provincial count, uh, member of parliament. Well, there was another example, I think maybe a year ago in East York, mm -hmm. Toronto, and I remember the, the local community were not thrilled to to see that uh, a, a public area, a parking lot and a park, or at least mostly a parking lot, was destined to be, uh, you know, for social housing. Um, and so the, again, it's the, the, you know, people would say, oh, there you, there goes again, the nimbiest well, reaction. That one example. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's that many. And I think they, yeah. I, I don't I don't know but I've, yeah I've heard about that and I don't know about it um, in any detail but um, uh, I mean that doesn't stop the city from doing something different right but I guess they would cite that you know I, I guess voices like Fontra and other neighborhoods yeah. associations you meet yeah. regularly with the, the chief planner I'm, I presumably yeah. you meet with the local councillors yeah. I mean your voice is is a fairly strong voice and the councillors listen to you um, you represent a large contingent of, of voters and and so if you're if you have a concern then that concern yeah. may resonate when it comes time to voting for or against a, a proposal so we have to be careful about what our concerns are yeah and not not everybody agrees uh, as as in in the real world um but this is uh you know the general direction that we are working on you know to have the consultation and, and resolve the issues Okay, this... maybe that's sort of idealistic world, but I mean that's what we should be um, aiming for. Well, okay, I, I just really one more question. I, you know, missing middle is seen as um, certainly a, a major opportunity, at least in Toronto. A lot of people are talking about it. Maybe an, mm -hmm. a, an untapped opportunity in, in the so-called yeah. yellow belt. But I'm wondering, from your perspective, or from your your colleagues' perspective within mm -hmm. Fontra, whether you see other solutions um, to addressing the housing affordability crisis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, this initiative does not do too much to address the affordability crisis. I mean, what is really needed is um, uh, financial uh, support and programs from um, the federal and provincial governments to build real affordable housing. This is the real need in the city. Um, you know, back in, you know, I started working in the city of Toronto back in the 70s with um, uh, the funding that happened there uh, at that time to, uh, uh, you know, provide for real, uh, real, 
uh, for real affordable housing, um, support, um, uh, supportive housing and, and co-ops and um, rent geared to income uh, programs for buildings. Uh, yeah, those kind. I mean, th this is a huge uh, problem for the city as it grows and um, uh, uh, especially with um, uh, the 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 rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, um, that um, this is the this is where the real attention needs to be paid to getting that kind of housing built. And I know the, I mean, the city has got some programs underway, but uh, but I guess I guess I think to counter that, I mean uh, the 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 kind of housing you're talking about, government funded housing, again, getting back to that example in East York, which would be one of those types of, of programs. I mean, doesn't it, it, again, it's sort of, it's right up against existing neighborhoods, I'm assuming, is what you're thinking. Um, and again, it, it draws out um, potential negative reaction from existing residents. Well, um, yeah, may, may in, in some cases and, and may not. It depends on the form of it. I guess the the prog the programs that um, one of the programs in the seventies had um, sort of co-ops where uh, there would be a mix of income. So there would be some people with higher incomes would live there mixed in with people with lower income. So it's a mixed income program um, to provide more. Um, uh, you know, I know it seemed to work extremely well, and and they're still going, and also in in you know different locations and parts of the city for the most problematic ones. I I was um, chair of a, a supportive housing organization for a while, trying to find sites, um, which is not easy. Um, yeah. Price of land very high, as you said yeah. earlier. You're competing yeah. against. Yeah. you know, uh, the top the top dollar and, and yeah. whether government yeah. can can yeah. Uh, finance that. And I guess that's where this in, the inclusionary zoning policy uh, now yeah. now. Uh, also, we're getting um, the Villiers Island development in the waterfront is to include a mix of uh, real affordable housing in it. Um, so there's different, you know, making a community that is built with it is one opportunity down to you. This is uh, a huge area being redeveloped now. Let me ask. Let me ask. Just follow up to that. A few, uh, actually, I think it was in early January. Mm -hmm. John Ibbotson, who is a well-known columnist for the Globe and Mail, he mm -hmm. he had an op-ed piece uh, titled mm -hmm. "This Has to Do with the Housing Affordability Crisis and How to How to Address It." He said, mm -hmm. and his title of his article uh, was mm -hmm. "There May Be an Answer to the Housing Crisis: Let Cities Sprawl." And that really caught the attention of a lot of planners, a lot of urbanists. Um, there was mostly negative reaction, but I, I'm just curious, what, 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 what was your response when you saw, if you saw well, that I, at all? I, that would be my reaction. You, know, you couldn't do that. I mean, we've got, um, you know, I guess there was also the example of um, the, the project in um, uh, Richmond Hill or, somewhere there, Markham, that um, Alex uh, Bezorkovic was writing about, like, it's just all tall towers and nothing else. I mean, that's um, that sort of vertical sprawl, I guess. Um, uh, 
that's not a solution either, sort of the complete communities. I mean, what, um, I mean, the province does have a growth plan, but maybe it needs to have um, a, a sort of an update with this, um, those, this lens on it of um, uh, creating uh, more housing opportunities. Just with respect to what's happening now, the task force, uh, missing middle, uh, you mentioned growth plan, lots of discussions. I'm sh I'm sure to be had uh, in the next uh, in the in the next few months, just in terms of response. And it sounds like you and your colleagues uh, at Fontra are going to be uh, are trying to are going to try your very best to be in, in the middle of that discussion to shape this in your, um, you know, in your best, uh, best interest for not just for yourselves, but for the, the city as a whole. Um, this is really, this is really great to, to hear your perspective, your side of the story and to better understand how Fontra operates. Thanks so much for your time on this. It was really oh, good. Thank you, Lucinda. We hope that's helpful. And we're sort of, I think we're all kind of muddling through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly are. Hopefully, we'll be clearer um, in, in the months to come. Well, thank you for including me, and, and I hope that it was helpful. It was indeed. Thanks, Kathy. Mm -hmm.